coming up on Art Palace. It gave me clarity. Where sometimes death can seem final or spooky, it felt like a door. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool people are the artists of the Black and Brown Faces exhibition. These conversations were a part of the Artists in Dialogue program for this exhibition, where we asked the artists to explore relationships between their own work and an artwork in the museum's permanent collection. Visit the exhibition page on our website and scroll down to the Artists in Dialogue section to see the artworks we are discussing. Hi, I'm Terrence Hammonds. My piece in Black and Brown Faces is entitled The Beat, It Will Always Save Us. And it depicts two couples dancing on careening meteorites. So tell me a little bit how you got to this. Like, what, wh where did this come from, this work? Well, honestly, like the sort of social upheaval that's been happening. And for me personally, I have found solace in um, searching through old photographs. Hmm. So I've started searching through old photographs of interracial couples, but this is work that I've been doing for a while. And um, I started finding these images of uh, jitterbugs, of dancers okay. um, in the, the 20s and 30s and thinking about the social economic things that were happening for black and brown people mm. around that time. And the fact, I just honestly love that it's celebrated or with this piece, I was hoping to celebrate the um, endurance of black people and the magic of making um, something beautiful after uh, out of something really painful. Tell me about how it's actually made. So it's a silk screen on birch plywood. The plywood is a reclaimed uh, shipping crate um, from my garage. I guess in the last six or seven months, I've been creating work where I'm reclaiming this um, shipping crate. Uh, my piece in the Rosendahl Center, Everything is Everything, is basically me sort of cannibalizing everything in my art studio. <laughs> uh, to create a new piece that feels very like of its time though too of this idea of like being stuck at home and it, it that makes a lot of sense in, in yes yeah, no of I, I i call it my quarantine work because yeah. <laughs> again you're at home and wanting to like create new space or make something out of these things that are existing and taking up space around you I mean, I, I think to me, my read of the piece is it's very like exuberant feeling and like really joyful. It would be very easy to sort of come up with like a pretty dour response <laughs> oh, to and, all of this. And, and the, the truth is, um, I was pretty dour around this, right. around this time. And honestly, I think that like I, I needed to be working on something that was uplifting. That was yeah. an image that sort of celebrated joy. Yeah. Um, it, it helped me harness that joy so I can reflect it back to my family and in my daily activities. To me, it's really important that the piece sort of radiates joy, that we talk about the joy and that that joy comes from the struggles and determination for, for equal rights for all people. You've picked out a piece from the collection to talk about, and it is the After Dinner Coffee Pot by Russell Wright, uh, which uh, was made in the years between 1937 and 1959. So what is it about this piece that you connected with? It is the simplicity of the form and that married with the function of an after dinner coffee which is done after sharing hopefully a, a delicious meal with a friend or someone you love, and then the conversation that happens afterwards. I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the piece and about joy and focusing on joy. The after-dinner coffee pot, when in use, mm -hmm. it functions as a catalyst for conversation, mm. for um, to build communities, to for tough conversations, for loving conversations. For me, I think that that along with like some sweet dance moves is kind of what the world needs right now <laughs> uh, is to um, listen to each other. And maybe if you've been together and, and you're both safe, 
maybe dance dancing close <laughs> you kind of alluded to this when you were you were picking it out it is like the most unassuming piece i think in this entire display mm-hmm. like there's all these other pieces <laughs> some of them are like pretty out there and like you know very inventive sort of art deco designs and it's like and this one is just like it is not the most straightforward coffee pot you can imagine obviously there is some very interesting design here but it is like oh yeah that's a nice coffee pot <laughs> well I think what I I love about it is that it's quietly radical. Mm. I mean, it is, it is, if you look at it, it's a really radical change of any coffee pot that I've ever personally seen. The color, a beautiful, simple gray that looks beautiful on a table. And the the shape is, I think, a rather radical departure from any other ceramic coffee pot that I've personally seen. And that were, and definitely... Uh, that was being manufactured at the time. Also, uh, I think Russell Wright and his wife partner, Mary Wright, wrote this great book about the art of entertaining mm. and the art of sharing, basically. Oh, okay. And then in that sharing becomes, that's how you build community. Mm. That's how you build family uh, traditions and heirlooms. I mean, I use my Rus- Russell Wright coffee pot almost every night. It has a, a place of pride in our cabinet and in our home. Thank you for being my guest today. No problem. Thank you so much for inviting me. My name is Hannah Jones. I also go by Jonesy. So my piece is called Check All That Apply. It's an intersectional piece. It's about uh, my personal life being biracial and and the injustices that are happening right now in our society. And while we're looking and, and making room for and fighting for people's rights, human rights. Um, it's really a piece about making spaces for people that we aren't necessarily thinking about and breaking outside of the boundaries of of what we think is traditional, heteronormative, white um, society. So it's really about me. And like, if I went back to a personal story, the reason that it's called Check All That Apply is because I was in junior high and I went down to the office and the counselor lady told me that I needed to check one of the boxes about my my race. My mom had filled it out for me and she had checked both and she had made like a huge deal about it and said that, okay, you need to call your mom and she needs to fill out only one, like you need to fill out only one. And it just seemed like it was just so much of a big deal that it didn't need to be when out of all honesty, we were telling the truth. I am black. I am white. And it just didn't make sense to me why I had to choose one piece of myself. Um, and as I grew older and and coming out and being queer, uh, I realized that there are even more intersections that I'm going to have to deal with and being a woman. And we, we just put people in boxes and those boxes leave no space or any room for people to be human and to decide to be something else and to love themselves for who they are, like fully fledged out. Black lives are a spectrum and humanity is a spectrum. And so it's really just a look at all of those intersections that could could be, will be eventually in the future. And that's kind of what it examines. So tell me how you took those ideas and applied them to your painting. I think I took it very literally, um, and I do that very literally in my work sometimes where I use black and white as a pigment to represent exactly that, me as black, me as white, and that those are such rigid borders and there's such a contrast there. We take it so literally in, in society too, like you can't be one or the other, or you have to be, you have to be one or the other. You can't just be both. So there's like a very distinct contrast between the two of them. And then the rainbows is everything else in between. So it's like the fluidity of of being queer, of being all of those different colors, and they're all existing at the same exact time, all on the canvas, and you can't separate them. They're all there. I hope that people see something in themselves, even if you're not me, you're not biracial woman or, or queer, like I hope you see that no matter who you are, no matter like what your what your humanity is, you should be able to see yourself and and allow yourself to breathe and be and give yourself grace and be all the colors that you want to be. So we also wanted to talk a little bit about a work from the collection and you uh, chose Hiawatha's Marriage from 1871 by Edmonia Lewis. And let me know what you were attracted to in that piece. I think originally I just put myself kind of in her position and to be a mixed person and to specifically be a mixed person between two minorities that mm. are um, are oppressed in this country, I can't imagine having to be in that situation as somebody who's 
um, a mix of the majority and the minority. So it's a very, very different, it's a very different thing. And the things that she would encounter are completely different. Um, So to see somebody who has been so oppressed by the system and then to also be a woman and then to also questionably be um, on the spectrum somehow. And so I think for me, I was attracted to all of her intersections as she is as a human to be to be all of those things in that time and what she must have encountered to like live freely. And we should say she was part black and part Native American, yeah. in case people don't know. But yeah, you're right. I mean, she was a person who definitely, um, you know, she did her own carving, which was kind of unusual for women of the day to even like carve marble as a woman was a sort of rebellious act (laughs) yeah and it's also beautiful it's so it's so stunning when you see it like i walked into that room and i was like wow it like it's immaculate it's beautiful it's glowing yeah yeah it is when we just walked by you were commenting on how like how soft it does the the texture and i think when you see like this really good marble sculptures um it's always amazing how they kind of get that fleshiness to something you know is nothing like flesh and i like think of it almost literally too like in the sense that this person has encountered like i said a lot of oppression and to have a soft hand like that and like those details that's that's really it's crazy to me that she sit down and like be able to be me- that meticulous about it when she probably has a lot of other things going on in the world that she's living in. And she's able to like hone in, sit down and make something that soft and that beautiful. Then also she dressed really androgynously yeah. too. So she also was so unafraid to just, you know, she wore a lot of men's clothing and just kind of really messed with people's expectations yeah. of gender at the time, which... And that's at the time is very dangerous. You yeah. know what I mean? So I think... I see this person, I don't even know her, but I'm like, this was a brave woman. This is a really brave woman who decided, I don't like the boxes. I'm going to step outside the boxes and we'll see what happens. We're going to make some art. I'm G. Horton. So the piece that's up, it's one of 12 to 13 pieces uh, for my forthcoming series, which is called Coming of Age. And this particular piece is entitled, If I Rule the World, Imagine That. The series is really, it's a meditation on a young boy's transformation from a boy to a man. The boy in this in this series, it so happens to be my 13-year-old nephew. Okay. And uh, he is living in Louisville, Kentucky right now, which is where I'm from. And I'm really walking you through some of the transitions that he is experiencing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about like the markings on his face. Those are tribal markings. And when you think of tribes, certain tribes in this case in Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Tribal markings are an indicator of uh, on a young boy that he is transitioning into adulthood, right? And identity is such a fragile concept. Mm. We're all still trying to figure out who we are and what is the world and how do we fit in it? And here this young boy is, he's asking himself the same questions, but his his perception is is tainted and is Mm. limited with some of his attachments to material possessions. He's showing you the goads. He's showing you like, he's showing himself. Mm-hmm. Are he showing who who he think he is to the world, mm. and in regards of how he sees himself, at the end of the day, he is confident in in his attachments to this new identity, yeah. uh, to this alienated identity, and it just in his case with him being thirteen, it becomes a foundation for what his life or for what this identity will will grow into. What were the things that you felt shaped you at that age? And do you think there are things that, you know, when you were 13, didn't seem like a big deal that actually changed your life? Yeah. So that's a great question. What shaped me at 13 is really what uh, some of the elements I'm going to talk about in this in the series. I'm using the 13-year-old boy to really talk about my story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of those elements are peer pressure, you know love or our lack of love and really just the people, the people around me, because the people around me helped validate this identity that I was starting to grow into. When I was 13, I stopped drawing. I mm. was an artist up until 13. Okay. But my friends and everybody around me, mm. <laughs> they discouraged that. 
Hmm. Instead, you know, it was acceptable for me to play basketball and football. Those yeses and those noes are the reason why I ended up coaching 10 years of Division One college basketball. What do you think attracted you to this idea of transitioning from adolescence into adulthood? We don't talk about it enough. Kids just grow up. We just grow up. And, and in Jay's case, which is the main character in this story, his name mm-hmm. is JJ. He's growing up and he's growing up based on his proximity, what he's closely connected to. Mm-hmm. And in his case, he's connected to a lot of people who are who aren't necessarily giving him the positive attention and guidance that he may need. And he's just gonna grow up. And I wanted to slow down. I wanted to slow it down a little bit and use uh, my ability to draw and tell stories through art as um as an opportunity to just meditate and reflect on his transitions as we see it happens. Mm-hmm. When we were trying to pick out a piece, you you mm-hmm. felt really strongly about this, and you were sort of immediately seemed like you you knew you wanted to talk about uh, The Freedman by John Quincy Adams Ward, uh, which is from 1863. I'm kind of curious, what what was it about this that drew you in? It's the posture. It's the the composition of this piece. And his body position is is leaning in a way in which you don't, you can't really tell whether he's getting up and like we talked about, or whether he's resting. And, um, for me, when I first saw it, I knew that this was um, a representation of what we know as a, as a as a slave in America, like a former slave. Mm-hmm. So I was just naturally attracted to it. And on top of that, I mean, it was a black man, right? I mean, you can still see the shackles on his hands, too. To me, it's just full of so much like momentum. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, we're kind of going back and forth because I was like, yeah, to me, he feels like he's definitely standing up. Uh, but then you brought up a great point, which I hadn't really thought about is like, if this is a person who's been, you know, enslaved, he's he's like maybe wants to sit down for mm-hmm. once. So I, it's something I hadn't really considered about it. I was thinking of it in more, I think, symbolic terms of mm-hmm. like the idea of like standing and like rising. Yeah. Um, and but I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, too, of like, t- you know, a person kind of resting is actually a, in this instance, a very powerful image. Yeah. Right. But also when I thought of resting, I was, you know, I, I started to ask myself this question, resting from what? And the shackles just allow the storytelling to just deepen there. What 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 really drew me to this piece when I first saw it is the texture, it's the color, it's the bronze, it's. It's so prominent, right? It just, Mm. it sticks out and it catches your attention. And that's what I did when I first saw it. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited about it. Cool. So thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me today. No doubt, man. This is fun. (laughs) Hi, my name is Annie Ruth. You know, I am so excited about my piece in the exhibition. It, uh, this piece that I've done actually is a tri-faced piece. And so, you know, I call the piece the door um, because we, we all have doors that are in our lives that open and close. It is really an intersection of mind, body, spirit. Uh, and there, there's elements of African-styled art that will kind of almost make you feel like it's a painting of a sculpture. I created the painting while my mom was battling cancer um, that had spread to her brain and lungs. And so we knew she was going to eventually be entering that door that took her to the next realm. And um, probably three weeks ago, I was able to help usher her through that doorway from, from death to life everlasting. And it just made me look at, you know, seeing spiritually in, in, in a different way. It, it, it gave me clarity um, where sometimes death can seem final or spooky. Mm-hmm. It felt like a door that I helped to, uh, her to transition through. So, Are there sort of like different levels of mats in the work? Yes. I um what I did was I started out and created the piece um on one plane mm-hmm. and then I actually cut it to where it was a multi plane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It, it it creates this 
interesting sense of of that extra dimensionality that you're talking about because yes. it is a for all you know intents and purposes a 2d work when you look at it but then that sense of having those different planes it it, it adds that idea of passage that you're you're speaking of mm-hmm. that's really great it was i think there were some things i had to personally experience to get there because mm-hmm. when i when my mother came to live with me i knew that she would pass from death to life in my home and at first it seemed somewhat spooky until i really prayed about it and then when I when I stopped looking at it as, oh, she's going to die in my home versus she's going to transition from one plane to another, I, 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 I took it as a sense of honor. Uh, and I was actually able to, to sing to her as she made that passage. I was able to walk her to that door of trans- transition. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, work in the collection, and we just kind of walked around, and you wanted to find something that sort of stood out to you, Mm -hmm. and this piece uh, stood out to you, um, and it's a power figure uh, that's uh, from uh, the Republic of the Congo, Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of was curious what stood out to you about it. What stood out to me about it was that mirror. It's a round mirror in mm-hmm. the center of that piece. And, and oftentimes when I, I look at mirrors, I, I look at them to be reflective, um, not only reflective of what it's capturing, but reflective of what it could be. Um, and it it was the fact that it was an african carving that stood out to me not only that it was a is it was a carving but it was really that center mirror that we are meant to be reflective of uh our ancestors and our ancestors um not just far away but near uh so that's what really stuck out to me about that piece I, I, yeah yeah i saw a lot of introspection that's a, a both an interesting take that you you have on it mm-hmm. um and then i think what's fascinating that you were attracted to that mirror is that it um is meant to be almost like a, a gate or a portal oh, in okay. fact so it is meant to represent the sort of ancestral realm mm-hmm. and so it's interesting because it actually has a really direct connection with what you're talking about in your work of this like passage and and sort of moving from one realm into another. Obviously, the stylistic connections are are so clear too. I mean, when I looked at your 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 work immediately, I thought, oh, this reminds me of African carvings and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I think it's it's clear you were inspired by that as well. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to give the painting a feel that it was carved. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really want the viewer to see is not only the doors to different dimensions, but the doors that can open and close between different races, mm-hmm. um, how we communicate with each other, um, how we're actually even able to, to notice if a door is open or if a door is closed. Sometimes closed doors are all are often depicted as a negative where sometimes a closed door can be a good thing. Mm. It could be a sign of um, protection. My prayer is that the viewer will look at the piece and kind of experience those multi-dimensions of, of that door. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. My name is Michael Kopage. My work is called House of My Dreams, and it's um, a screen-printed flag with applique and gold leaf. And it's a a black-and-white flag, and it's a story about the haves and the have-nots. You know, it's the the idea that there's a, a house of my dreams that... I can get if I work hard enough um, is a half truth. Um, You know, I have to be perfect. I have to live long enough. You know, frankly, there are a different set of rules. And with those rules come barriers to accessing, you know, the types of 
things I need in place to to have the the house of my dreams. So uh, disproportionately, people of color try to take shortcuts and wind up in the big house instead of a dream house. And so this piece, it's an observation turned critique of uh, contemporary America and the way that the system uh, treats people of color differently. Why do you have the Capitol building in there? The house of my dreams, you know, ideally the house of my dreams would be a house of representatives that we elect that were for the people, but big business, corporations, the big money can be alluring and can be distracting. Uh, the power of the lobby uh, sometimes, unfortunately, gets in the way uh, and trumps the power of the people. Talk to me about the choice to make the flag stark black and white. You know, we live in the largest you know, civil rights movement ever. Uh, we're speaking a lot about blackness, and we, in turn, are speaking a lot about whiteness, which I don't think is something that we talk about much. Uh, I, you know, I think because, because being white doesn't really uh, present problems that create barriers in your life, you really don't talk about being white much. So I think we're having, we're living in a time where we're having some very difficult conversations. Uh, alternatively, uh, the black and white is kind of uh, the symbol, symbolic of prison stripes. So, you know, that big house is kind of characterized by the stripe pattern on the, the uniforms that the, the prisoners wear. So you wanted to uh, talk about a painting in the collection uh, by Edward Hopper called Sun on Prospect Street, Gloucester, Massachusetts, uh, which is from 1934. And I'm curious why you chose this piece. Personally, there's some there's some threads that Edward Hopper and I share that I thought were interesting. We we both grew up with one sibling. Uh, he grew up pretty wealthy. I did not. Um, he uh, grew up in a strong kind of matrilineal household mm -hmm. with the mom and the grandma and the and and so did I and the aunties and all of that and the women definitely ran the house. Uh, it wasn't until later in his career that he really took off and he was kind of um, frustrated about that. I have that same sense of frustration. He was a realist. Uh, he did paintings and etchings of urban and rural spaces, architecture. Um, I consider myself a realist as a an ideology, not necessarily an application of my artistic practice. Uh, and, and what I do is I shine a light on, you know, things that I observe and that I want to challenge that exist in contemporary America. He was painting the America that he knew, you know, in real time. He was cataloging it and trying to capture it as much as he could. And, and I'm doing the same thing. And, you know, that's the house of someone's dreams. He painted that house because he thought that house was beautiful. You know, and he had the funds to access that type of place. For me, I've always felt like this painting is, it, despite its sunny suburban setting that we see, I, I've always felt it's kind of tinged with a certain sadness. Um, and I think it's it's because there's no people in it, like it, in that like emptiness to it. I also can't help but see it almost as a little bit of a critique of of suburbia in a way. Well, I could I could see that. You know, I'm sure there's a certain loneliness when you're you know in a tiny box separated from your neighbors, and there's a certain kind of privacy that you have. You know, and and you don't want anyone on your yard. You have a privacy fence. I mean, there's not one in this painting, but. You you know where I'm getting at, but yeah. but I but I I think that with with this painting, you know what I read about this painting is that this the the time that he painted this was actually bustling with people. It was like a booming tourist mm -hmm. destination, right? And he intentionally excluded the people 
from the painting. So, you know, this was a safe place that people felt like they could bring their families and where there wasn't gun violence and there wasn't drugs and some of the ills that you see in like urban environments, you know, and and although he chose to depict it a certain way, the reality was that this was a safe place. This was if if I'm looking for a safe place to take my family because of the element that and the environment that my family and my children are growing up in because of the element that I grew up in, this would be a suitable option. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my name is Daryl Mentia Daniels. So the painting that I have in the exhibition is titled Tired, and it is of a woman who is by herself, but she is in like in a protest uh, situation, and uh, she's raising her fist in the air as a symbol for power, and she's wearing a shirt that says, Ain't I a Woman, which is a famous speech by Sojourner Truth. And um, I really just wanted to talk about not only the power and the influence of black women, but also the uh, impact that today's times have had on black women, and to also talk about how they still relate to the times back when Sojourner Truth made her speech. I was curious about the source of the image. Did you? It looked like something that was from a like a photograph or like a news photograph. Where did it come from? So I made this image up. Um, I did go to a few marches in um, New York uh, for George Floyd and for Breonna Taylor, and I did uh, see a lot of different people marching. So I was inspired by the people that I saw. But um, this is a made-up character, but it was inspired by the yeah. protests. That's interesting, yeah, because it, it has a feeling of a real scene that you would see. So it makes sense that you're you're pulling from your your actual experiences. I'm curious about the color choices that you made in the painting. And um, specifically, I feel like it, ha it has this really bright orange background. Mm -hmm. why, why orange? <laughs> so I really wanted it to be uh, very alarming and uh, I wanted to stand out. And I also wanted to, I didn't want to go completely yellow because um, that's just a little too happy. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I wanted her light to be dimmed and her skin is black, but you could still see pieces of orange uh, markings throughout her skin to really just talk about uh, her consciousness and uh, how that level of energy within her is dimmed based off of the situations that we're in now. I wanted her to have this head wrap on matching her um, mask to not only reflect today's times mm -hmm. and you know today's fashion, but to also reflect on um, the times back in the 1800s and during slavery where women were wearing scarves over their head and being forced to uh, cover their crown. Um, so I just really wanted to kind of um, do this back and forth between then and now. Uh, so you wanted to uh, talk about Phyllis Wheatley, uh, which is a sculpture by Elizabeth Catlett from mm -hmm. 1973. And uh, this was one you you specifically chose a work uh, by Elizabeth Catlett. And I was curious about what she means to you or, or what your relationship is to that artist. Uh, Elizabeth Catlett is like a goddess to me. Um, she is such an inspiration and just a pioneer for women artists, for black women artists. And, you know, her printmaking, her painting, her sculptures have all inspired me in some way, shape, or form. I've been inspired by her marks and her prints and um, just the way she kind of references African history and African art and um, African sculptures. And I've also been inspired by African sculptures, uh, particularly the terracotta head or the Benin sculptures. Mm. Um, with the markings in their faces, that's been a huge inspiration for the type of work that I make now. The idea of mark making, and I'm looking at the sculpture, I think there's a lot, like you can kind of see her relationship with printmaking and mark making, yeah. even in this sculpture. Right, yeah. Looking at the way like um, Phyllis Wheatley's uh, shirt, her top, what she's wearing has a sort of texture to it, mm -hmm. um, whereas her arms are very smooth. Um, and then even like kind of the, the lines and the shapes 
of her arms you know they're very graphic a great connection between this piece and your work is a sense of empowerment mm. i was just kind of curious how do you see empowerment in this sculpture her pose in mm -hmm. general like she's how should i describe this pose um well her arms are so like her arms are crossed but she has one right, hand one up hand to her head on her face and she's just looking at the viewer um and it's just a very strong pose to be in, I feel like. Like, she's ready to answer anything. She's ready to attack anything. You know, she's just ready. Yeah. On, on a just kind of a purely formal level, the base feels very solid. The mm. way her arms are supporting her other arm. It feels, you know, this is not a sculpture that's going to tip over ever, right? It's, it's awesome. It's interesting how she depicted Phyllis Wheatley and um, Phyllis Wheatley's story, you know, from being enslaved and um, becoming a writer and um, gaining her own freedom. And um, just that relation of, you know, the strength of a woman and, you know, how nothing can really hold her down. And she's always going to keep marching and moving forward. And um, that's just something that I really wanted to try to depict with uh, the painting that I created, and um, just in relation to this, to, to the to the topic of empowerment, and um, the stories between you know Sojourner Truth, Phyllis Wheatley, and uh, Elizabeth Catlett. My name is Kevin J. Watkins. So I have um, five images uh, in the Black and Brown Faces exhibit. Um, and it's a documentary style piece, black and white, of uh, the protests throughout the summer here in Cincinnati. And tell me about how you've chosen to arrange those those images. Um, so basically, I, I kind of wanted them uh, sort of a linear fashion to, to tell a story. Um, all the images are, are kind of touching, so it, it kind of flows and it, it gives you a chance to kind of step back, look at the images and uh, figure out the story for yourself. And the images are, are printed rather large, too. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to print uh, as big as possible. Um, so it's, it's really in your face. You can really see the detail and the expressions. Um, and like I said, I wanted the images kind of black and white to give it that, that older feel and strip it back down, take the color away, and um, also have them kind of all, all together arranged touching. Tell me a little bit about the experience of actually shooting these photographs. Yeah, so um, I started uh, the very first night of the protest after George Floyd was murdered. I went down the very first night here um, and it was an amazing experience. It was it was a lot of energy down there from the people. Um, it kind of felt like a powder keg that was going to erupt at times. So it was a little scary. Um, but the inspiration behind it going forward was just absorbing all the energy and continuing to, to document throughout the summer um, and uh, just telling that story. The photos also, they seem to capture different perspectives too. Mm -hmm. Even though you are the singular vision, they right. seem to sort of hop around and you get, a, it gives you actually a really interesting view of it because it's not just from one view. Yeah, definitely. So the protest, uh, like I said, it was several different ones um, that I went to. Um, a lot of them were different. A lot of them had similarities. Um, so yeah. I think that's where you get some of the differentiation. Oh, okay. Um, but also, I, I think I'm a portrait photographer by nature. Um, so I'm kind of used to posing people. This mm. was kind of opposite of what I do. So it was more so trying to capture those moments. So I was mm. looking for almost people posing themselves. I know they weren't posing because they were protesting, but those moments where somebody's really passionate about what they're doing in time was just capturing those single moments. I did end up using the image of, of the chief of police here in Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, I thought that was a, a very vital, a vital part to just telling the story because he's also a black and brown face and mm -hmm. um, he's obviously kind of... He has to be a police chief and he's also a black man within within everything that's going on right now. So I just thought he was fitting to help tell that tell that story as well. So we also wanted to talk about uh, work in the museum's collection, which is by an artist named Lorna Simpson. And it's called Counting from 1991. And I'm curious what attracted to you to this work. And I, I think the aesthetic of it all looks uh, kind of similar to mine. It kind of drew me to it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, the black and white, the way the images are are, are put together, basically touching is it, kind of telling that, that story as well. 
I hadn't even thought about it for for a connection to yours is that they're both images that are made up of smaller photographs, you know, that are combined. And even the way they're sort of not all the same size Mm -hmm. and the shapes, but they're all kind of touching. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of interesting. It it, it isn't sort of a documentary type thing. So we have like, uh, just to describe the piece, there's, you know, we see the a part of a woman's face. Mm-hmm. And then according to the label, it says a smokehouse that once held enslaved people. And then below that, a coil of braided hair. And then there are these numbers next to them. They feel very cataloged mm-hmm. in a way. Next to the woman's neck, it says different periods of time. Oh. During the smokehouse, it, it gives you 310 years ago, 1,575 bricks and then for the braid, it says 25 twists, 70 braids, 50 locks. Yeah. I don't know. What do you make of all that? <laughs> um, man, it, it, it's very it's very detailed. Um, 1,500 bricks. Like, yeah. I like the whole aspect behind it, just, just telling you exactly what's going on. 50 locks. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> it's interesting, though. I feel like to me, it's almost like the point is almost that these things are not very meaningful. Like. Gotcha. Does it matter the the amount of bricks? You know, like, right? Yeah, you true, know, like, true. Yeah, definitely. Like it's a smokehouse that held enslaved people, but right. we're not talking about slavery. We're talking about the number of bricks in the year and how. So there's like this weird like cold distancing that's mm-hmm. happening by call, just sort of pointing out that it's 310 years ago. Yeah. It's this, and it's like, yeah, but that's not the important part of sure, the story, sure, right? Sure. Definitely, definitely. That, that that makes a lot of sense now that you say that is is definitely giving it that uh. Almost like a divide, you know? What do you think about the way that they're photographed? I love it. I think the the top piece of the the woman's uh, kind of mouth and uh, down, um, I think it does kind of draw you in a little bit too as well, just because it's it's a bigger a bigger print. Um, and it, it's, it definitely just draws you in. It, it, it kind of makes you just kind of look at it and, and think exactly what the photographer was trying to, trying to portray with this. The smokehouse, um, I like how that one's kind of pulled back. Um, just to give you the whole view of it and it, and it makes it feel very kind of solitaire, like, you know, like mm. lives were lost there, or people lived there, or died there. Well, it's also, I, I hadn't really thought about the way the, the, the smokehouse, it's a tiny little image in a mm. larger, wider rectangle. Yes. That's yes. so interesting because yeah. it's like, what it feels like is it's like we're isolating a thing out of a larger landscape mm-hmm. that makes me think of like what are we missing? Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what's being blocked out in this image, you yeah. know? we're getting just the braid we're not really getting a person with it as well so it's it's like a yeah it's like it's like disconnected yeah, hair like just exactly. hair lying yeah. on a table or something like yeah it doesn't feel like it's connected to a human being mm-hmm. in any way mm-hmm. i think all of these are kind of slightly disconnected from what else what, what right. else is there to the yeah. You know, you know, there's not a fragmentary. Yeah, exactly. You know, like exactly. we're getting fragments of information on mm-hmm. the side mm-hmm. and then we're getting fragments of images. Yeah. And I think that's sort of like the interesting thing about this piece is like that the struggle it puts in you of like, it how does. do I, put, <laughs> how do I put this together to yeah. kind of make sense of it? Yeah. I, I like the parallel between her piece and mine, just kind of the aesthetic of how they're put together, um, mm-hmm. kind of larger size photos and, and the kind of way it's, it's set up. So yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Well, I hope people uh, get to enjoy looking at both of them. Um, Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you for having me, man. It was a great time. Sure. Thank you. My name is Adante Clark. Well, Black and Brown Faces, uh, what I wanted to capture with this was just the moment in time that we're in currently in 2020. With this piece that is in Black and Brown Faces, I wanted to say, Okay, we've now are seven months, eight months into this pandemic and what this will be our new norm. It has changed the way that we view our day to day, whether that's working from home and uh, so on and so forth, not commuting. So with the piece here, I wanted to capture just appreciating the things that we did in our society as far as like commuting, the way we hugged, the way we sh- shook hands uh, just upon meeting, you know, mm-hmm. each other like me and you. Yeah, yeah. We're not allowed to shake hands, right? right? So I understand that, but this is our new norm. So I really wanted to capture just where we stand today versus where we were and what can we appreciate from that moment. So how did those ideas translate into an image for you? I attempt to have uh, a portrait, right? That's the base of it. And there's an expression. However, the scene um, that will be 
taking place typically takes place in the space of the mind. So mm-hmm. if you can capture it in the mind that, you know, what you're going to do next or what your decision making is going to be, I think it allows us to then uh, formulate what we want to do next. So the image that we will see that's called uh, capturing the awakening, it's literally, let's, how do we capture what is new for us and what's new, um, the norm? Is the the face in, in your work, is it somebody specific? So the face is not someone specific, right? Mm-hmm. So I typically want to specifically find an expression mm-hmm. that sells what I'm trying to say. Um, and in th- that image, and that the person that I'm using is a black male and he, you know, he, he's looking someone downward and he's in deep thought, right? So he's in deep thought. And then you have the scene. You're going to see people walking. You're going to see people exchanging the handshake. You're going to see someone who is approaching another individual with their arms out, attempting to say, Hey, I want to give a hug, you know, embracing with a hug. And then you're going to see somewhat of a slight crowd in, in the foreground. I mean, sorry, in the background of the street, and it's just the whole idea of us, the way we socialize, the way we presented ourselves, the way we greet each other. Um, all those things have changed yeah. for us. So you're good. And then also I will say a important piece is that obviously you have the whole portrait, but on the right hand side, there's an individual, there's a figure that is sitting on top of the ear, but it's sitting on top of the ear the same, I would say, color as the larger portrait, which is removed from the inside where the thoughts are taken. So that's the window that you're looking through in Mm -hmm. the window of, you know, hey, here's my reflection. So you chose to talk about Tom Shaw's Today I Am No One. What about two hours from now? And I'm curious just uh, first, like why, what made you choose that piece? Um, I really think this is a bold statement and it's a very impactful image. Um, so this portrait here, this work that Tom Shaw has produced, when I seen it, it definitely t- grabbed my attention. So mm-hmm. I was captured by it. Um, again, you see someone with a somewhat stale look on their face and then the titling, um, today I am no one, but what about two hours from now? And I think there's a, th- there's a balance between Okay, I am viewed as no one. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's hope for two hours from now, but also just given the expression of kind of this still look, there could be thought of, you know, what can I do differently to where I'm seen differently? So obviously the image is basically saying I am no one. That's his view of maybe how the world is seeing him, or maybe that's his view of, of himself. But however, I can change that is the hope of two hours from now. Yeah. I, I can't help but think about the X's and the I's mm-hmm. um, and how that relates to the uh, title as well. And so that idea of two hours from now, and then when I see those X's, it makes me also think about the danger he might be in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like the danger and just why am I viewed this way? You know, why, you know, am I not someone in, you know, maybe the eyes of someone else Mm -hmm. who has, you know, your normal pupil eye structure, you know, why when when they look at me, am I considered no one? When I look at my piece or just the work that I create, and then I look at this piece, I, I find it, you know, very important to make statements. These need to be the conversations that need to be had. Uh, these are the type of things that uh, people are experiencing and dealing with. And I definitely think when it comes to a work of art, you know, it's something that we all can enjoy. But, you know, make sure that there's a purpose behind what you want to say. And hopefully that for years coming, people can always reflect and uh, build off of this idea or just this image or emotion that it actually inflicts. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Sure. Thank you so much. My name is Konisa X. Anderson. My piece is called um, 2020 Vision, A Moment in Time. And we were told to create something that kind of expressed our view as like a Black artist um, for the year 2020. When I created the piece, um, I wanted to capture the iris and how that kind of um, represents vision. And also um, the year 2020 being like a plan of words, 2020 vision. Mm-hmm. Like the iris and the eye, we know it reflects light. And that's pretty much how we're allowed to see. So 
just with like a lot of things going on this year, um, especially a COVID situation, I wanted to use this time as it was a time of reflection for me. Uh-huh. With us having to quarantine and whatnot and be away from our families, not being able to go to family events, uh, travel, so much was canceled. And for me, like being stuck at home, it was a time for me to just think about what it is that I wanted in life, what were my plans after things were to get back to normal, I guess. Um, and just think about the relationship with family and just appreciate people more. Again, when it's over with now, what is it that we're going to do? How are we going to treat each other? How are we going to move forward? And that's kind of what I was thinking about when I mm. created this piece. Tell me about like the surface of the painting because it's incredibly glossy. For one, it's on the um, cardboard backing um, and then it's acrylic painting, a layer of acrylic painting. And then I put, um, like an epoxy coating oh, okay. over it to make it shiny. Why? What, what was that about? Um, just the gloss in the eye, actually. Like oh, okay. how our eyes are glossy, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It's just, it's so, that's the thing I noticed about it immediately. And yeah. It, it makes the black of the painting feel just, really deep mm-hmm. too. Um, mm-hmm. and it, this was my first time actually, um, Working with that type of material, um, it was a bit struggling because I had I didn't have enough at first, but mm. I worked with what I had. And obviously, you know, I you pick up on the idea of an iris right away, mm-hmm. but then it also has this feeling of like a galaxy yeah, or a nebula yeah. or something um, mm-hmm. floating out in space. And I think part of it is that the really rich black that that coating gives it mm-hmm. lends it that sort of extra depth. I wanted to talk to you about the work uh, in the museum that we just looked at by uh, Cyrus Kabiru. And it, it's these uh, selection of glasses that he's mm-hmm. created. Uh, they're kind of, he calls them like sea stunners. They're from the Macho Ne series. Um, and I did a little Google Translate on that. And it just means four eyes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, Macho is eyes mm-hmm. and, and Ne is four. four. So four eyes, which is kind of funny, like a... That's little like cool. the old uh, way of making fun of people in glasses. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I thought this would be an interesting uh, mm-hmm. piece to look at. Um, so, what did you think about it right away? I I definitely thought it was an um, interesting piece to look at, or interesting pieces because he has so many different types of. Um, yeah, yeah. In the gallery, we have two sculptures, like yeah. the two actual glasses on view. But then there's a video mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's also on view that shows him wearing more of these sculptures. So you kind of. Yeah. get to see multiple ones um i think they're very unique pieces i use the word glasses i have contacts in right now but um yeah. it just kind of makes me think about how when you go select glasses at the um oh, the yeah. i think yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and um you know you kind of like well which ones do i get which frames look right on me which and <laughs> he just kind of like went there like and did some of everything and use is i guess recycled materials yeah yeah most of, like they're all made out of just things he picks up off the street you know um you know the what he's got lying around so Mm -hmm. he finds like on both of ours i think there's little pieces of pencils which i like oh yeah i did see that yeah that one was yeah yeah there's like like the ends are clipped off and Mm -hmm. it's just like the i thought they were matches at first oh like are you talking about like the little red pieces uh there's ones that on one i think they have like a red cap on them on the end and then on the others they're like they're yellow pencils with I think like a little gold cap on the end okay. I believe but I thought the the red ones looked to me like a like a color pencil like a mm-hmm. nice drawing pencil that has like a little red like shows you I could be wrong it might not be a drawing mm-hmm. pencil at all but <laughs> <laughs> well I thought they were um pretty cool yeah for the cardboard you mm-hmm. used in your work was it recycled was it just something you found yes it was recycled you know I just went searching around like who's gonna give me a box or something I need to find something so I wind up finding a piece and it worked out I mean I think that's a similar spirit of what uh, Cyrus is doing here where he's yeah. just sort of like using what materials he's fine kind of being inspired mm-hmm. by the things around him him the other thing i think it's cool about that piece is it seems like you're kind of creating your own identity Mm -hmm. through those things and i know when you talked about going to buy glasses or pick out a new pair it's like really fraught with like Mm -hmm. high stakes you know it's not just a thing you're gonna like probably trade on and off most of the time Mm -hmm. you know they're like an extension of your body they are they really are (laughs) yeah so it's like that idea of glasses as 
identity like mm-hmm. really speaks to me as a lifelong glasses I wearer. Agree. I agree. <laughs> and they do. Different glasses say different things about people. Like there's a certain shape I feel mm-hmm. like um, can give that teacher look. Like you look right. like a teacher with those types of glasses <laughs> on or you look like you're a nerd now, right? <laughs> so yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. I just hope people um, are inspired by my piece. Um, again, I was using it coming from a place um of wanting to put something positive out there because again with so much going on negative 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 it's like you know what do we take from this year and again what do you how do you reflect on this year what did you get positive out of it so yeah awesome thanks so much for doing this with me thank you Hello, my name is Mark Anthony Brown Jr. I'm a photographer. My piece in the exhibition is a diptych. Two parts to it is 13 photographs, one that's pretty big, and then there's a grid of 12 others. And it's essentially 13 portraits of close personal friends of mine. And my intention behind that was to control the narrative and how we're perceived as black men, as well as engaging the immediate community of Cincinnati outside the role of just being an observer and actually being a participant. Who are the people in the photographs? It ranges from, you know, people I grew up with to, you know, people I played basketball in high school with. But they all, I consider them all to be part of my my close-knit group of friends, but they're not necessarily all friends with each other. So touching back on community, it's kind of cross-community, cross-referencing people. Yeah. How did they feel about having their pictures taken? Were they all game for that? Yeah, so the the title of the piece is actually called Great Reverence. To be revered is to be honored, to re- be respected. I talked to every last person and told them what I was trying to do. And the response was kind of uniform across the board. It was like, what? Of course, like, I, I believe in everything you're doing as far as your artistry and, and your photography. It would be an absolute honor. And my, my intention was to honor my friends, um, share this special moment with my friends when I speak about the title great reverence is the exchange between me the artist and the and my subject you described it as is being in two parts and what kind of brought you to that arrangement so i think the main piece kind of shows you know black men in, in solidarity and then the the grid allows for you know a little bit of individual individuality is and kind of peek into who that person might be solely by themselves You wanted to talk about a photograph from the collection called Types by Anu Matthew from 2005. And so I'm curious what attracted you to this piece. So I actually saw this piece and I I didn't get to really dive into it in person, but I saw it the night of the opening of Black and Brown Faces. But when I looked into it a little bit further and even in, in glancing initially, it seemed like a piece where the artist was taking control of the narrative around who they are as a person and how they're portrayed. I'm real big on that in my work as far as like, I'm a street photographer, documentary photographer. So a lot of my work touches on the black experience. So, you know, it's the black experience. So I feel like it should be portrayed by somebody who actually is having that experience. So with her speaking, kind of touching on Indian and the connotation of Indian and then the denotation of Indian was just very profound in a way it was simple but it was profound because it wasn't it does i think it's under addressed to quickly describe the artwork for folks if they're not able to see it the photographer anu matthew has taken this uh historical photograph of a native american and then she has created this self-portrait of herself in a very similar pose. She's using like jewelry and, and other decorations that are traditionally Indian from India, which is the name of the series, and Indian from India. And so she's playing with that confusion that happens. And yeah, she's she's playing with those ideas of stereotypes. The plan with the semantics of, you know, Indian and, and what people might think of uh, Indian and what an Indian actually is. I think that was very clever, but also she played on similarities as well. I know that the original Native American photograph may have been somewhat posed with props, but she also took that and applied it to how it really would be in her Indian culture. Like 
with some of the Native American photographs, there was face painting and there's face painting in Indian, but there's a different type. I was I, I was actually a little bit confused until I really delved into the project because originally I thought that she was a Native American and she was just doing a kind of like doing something for her lineage because, you know, Native Americans as well as Indians are an understated narrative within art. Um, but as I looked at it closer and then it was like a literal Indian from this specific place in India. When you really look at it, it makes you go deeper than just, oh, this is cool. She has the same thing going. Like if you really have to really like think about the similarities, the the dissimilarities and, and what she's trying to do. Yeah, I think it's an interesting piece also because it it, it really is about our country um, and about the United States because it's about her particular experience of this way she's perceived in the United States as a person who immigrated here. And then it also has to do with the way essentially other, you know, the people who immigrated to the United States originally view the people who were already here in this sort of sense of belonging and not belonging. And I think that's a, it's a really interesting comparison to make. I think also one thing that she was doing with the work was that she was holding the powers that be within the institutions kind of accountable for how they portray and, and to be kind of like be more careful with your word usage. And I always like I kind of did a similar thing with my artist statement in the show where you kind of just take a jab at the institution while you while you can and just try to hold them accountable, even though they are, in fact, the the, the institution. I'm always a little bit righteously rebellious, for lack of better words. Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. To close out 2020 with wellness, healing, and art, the Cincinnati Art Museum will reopen for special engagement days on Saturday and Sunday, December 26th and 27th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Members have special access on member mornings from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. During this time, the museum's exhibition ticket revenue will be donated to support and raise awareness for Arts Wave's 2021 Regional Artist Relief Fund that will make grants available for artists throughout Greater Cincinnati. Current special exhibitions are Frank Duvenek, American Master, Anila Kwayum Aga, All the Flowers Are for Me, Black and Brown Faces, and Women Breaking Boundaries. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we also have an Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. And as always, please rate and review us to help others find the show. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.